Blade. This is episode number 31. This time we're going to be talking about Star Fox on the Super Nintendo or the Super Famicom, depending on where you are located. I'm Kevin Larrabee, and I'm very happy to have on the show special guest from GameSpot, Peter Brown. Peter, how are you doing? I'm great, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. So this uh, was was fantastic that we we're able to to connect. And by the way, Josh is uh, I think he's he's on his way. I think he might be getting in his R wing and, and heading over here. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be making an R wing reference on his intro. But uh, for the meantime, we're going to get started uh, without him and talk a little bit about Star Fox. But uh, before we get into that, uh, you know, Peter, what one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is is over there. You are uh, I would say like the head retro game enthusiast. Like you are. Obviously, you did a big uh, feature on the Retron 5, and also uh, you have a great series on there called Megabit, where you you know sit down for like about an hour and you, you play through these old games and see how they hold up. I certainly try to play through them. I, I am notoriously bad at games <laughs> in, in that sort of scenario. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how consistently bad I am, <laughs> but we have a great time doing it, and, it, and it's really great to be able to showcase some of these games that I love so much. Well, before we go any further, like, what, what draws you to these, to these old retro games? Is it something you know, where you just enjoy the older games, the, the simplicity more, or is it just like for, I know for myself personally, it's, it's a lot of just nostalgia. Like I just love going back and firing up that old hardware and you know, those plastic carts just look fantastic. Yeah, it's it's definitely nostalgia for me is is a big part of it. But that that really only applies to some games, right? I mean, you know, a lot of the really iconic stuff like Super Metroid or just any any game that people like ourselves are really familiar with. But there's also that sense of discovery um, that comes with exploring the the vast libraries of these old consoles. You know, as a kid, you really only had so much, you know, uh, sway over your parents to get a game or two, mm-hmm. and there were hundreds of games that I missed out on. So I really enjoy going back to discover games that maybe I didn't know about and to play stuff that I, I just couldn't get. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Now that we have money, <laughs> you can just, <laughs> if you worst case scenario, you go on eBay and you just, you know, get that high bid at the last second and, uh, you worry about the credit card bill later. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's my goal. That's my modern plan, American right? collecting. There you go. <laughs> that's right. It's a great culture that we have here in the States. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be coming back with the history of Star Fox, and I'm going to be taking as many breaks as possible to fit in the fantastic soundtrack of this game. So we'll be right back. Stick around. be talking about the history of Star Fox, just going down the list real quick. And I know Peter has some awesome stuff that he's going to be adding as well. Uh, 
It actually came out in Japan first on February 21st, 1993, but not too far later, in March 23rd, 1993, it was coming out in North America. It was developed by Nintendo EAD. That's the fantastic development group that Nintendo has that has pretty much made some of your favorite Nintendo games over these last 25 plus years with some programming assistance from Argonaut Software. That's, uh, you know, where a lot of the great technology came from. Uh, we have some more on that in a little bit. And it was obviously published by Nintendo. So the really cool thing about this whole story uh, is that Nintendo worked closely with Argonaut during the early years of the NES and Super Nintendo. And they developed a prototype on the NES, initially codenamed NES Glider, which inspired by their earlier 8-bit game, Star Glider, and then ported uh, this prototype to the Super Nintendo. Uh, programmer uh, Jez San, I hope I'm getting that correct. I always, I've read it in like Edge Magazine uh, a couple times. I think it's pronounced San, but yeah, yeah, Jez San. All right, perfect. Uh, told Nintendo that this was as good as it could get unless they were allowed to design custom hardware that would make the Super Nintendo do 3D better. So surprisingly, Nintendo agreed, and uh, they ended up hiring chip designers to make what would then be the Super FX chip, the first 3D graphics accelerator in a consumer product. And they actually joked with each other that the uh, the Super FX chip was actually more powerful, or they joked that it was, you know, the chip itself was just being powered by the Super Nintendo uh, because that chip was actually more powerful than the standard processor that was in the Super Nintendo. Uh, yeah, the uh, the relationship actually between uh, Argonaut and Nintendo started off, it's sort of this infamous story where uh, they approached Nintendo at a trade show uh, having cracked the Game Boy's uh, uh, copy protection. Um, and they sort of went and they said, look, we really want to work with you guys. We do a lot with 3D. And as the story goes, like, I think it was the next day, uh, I believe Dylan Cuthbert got a phone call and they're like, Hey, we want to fly you out to Kyoto. We want you to meet, uh, Yamauchi-san and, you know, really kind of get involved with us in Nintendo. And they offered, offered them a three game deal. And before you know it, these, uh, these guys from the UK were living in Kyoto, working out of Nintendo's headquarters. And then Star Fox was born from there. That's crazy. It's a, it's kind of a similar story with, with rare when they did the same thing. They kind of broke the, I think it was at the time, the NES 10 chip. That was in uh, the Nintendo itself, and they were, you know went to Nintendo saying, "Hey, look at what we can do." And then they ended up making like a thousand games for the NES. <laughs> I'm not saying they had a special deal, but it's just funny that they have uh, somewhat similar stories. Uh, the main game was designed by Shigeru Miyamoto and Katsuya. Iguchi. I'm always terrible with these. Da- I've been to Japan like five times, and I'm still terrible with these <laughs> names. Uh, characters were designed uh, by uh, Takaya uh, Imamura, and music was composed by uh, Hajime Hirasawa. Uh, Nintendo suggested the arcade-style shooting element of the game, and Argonaut brought the idea of using spaceships. Uh, the characters themselves were developed by uh, Miyamoto, and he got some influence uh, from a local park. Um, it was Fushimi Inari. Uh, oh, man, I, go to go, just go to Wikipedia. I'm, I'm so bad with these <laughs> names. If you want, if you want to know where these parks are, this park was about a 15 minute walk from Nintendo's headquarters, and uh, he ended up using uh, the English word fox instead of the Japanese word uh, kitsune because he was reminded of uh, the foxes that were at that uh, park. So. I apologize for, for destroying the history of Star Fox, but at least that way we have uh, you know somewhere to get going. 
I think the uh, that park also had the iconic uh, red gates that oh, yeah. also inspired uh, some of the gates in Star Fox moving forward that are sort of seen throughout the different games. I remember that being another point of influence. The uh, the the really another interesting part of the story is that uh, a sequel was literally like completed, like it was playable at E3 as uh, Star Fox Two, and uh, eventually this. I mean, this is kind of a really well known story that Nintendo said. Actually, you know, we have this cool thing called the Nintendo Ultra sixty four coming out, right. uh, and you know, maybe we should wait because we don't want people to you know keep thinking the 3d is something that only the super nintendo can do we want our 3d games to be on the nintendo 64 uh and you can actually get access to this game like the rom is out there and there are companies that will make uh, repro carts with star fox 2 an almost complete version i guess it's missing some of the battle modes uh but it added some really cool things like a walker where you could walk on the ground Mm -hmm. and some other things that would later be just you know used in star fox 64 uh, a lot of those were also used in Star Fox Command as well. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. the uh, In terms of the repros, I think that there are two, two different versions of the game around. Mm-hmm. And then you can also get versions where someone has overclocked the processor, um, <laughs> so you can get better frame rates. And the same thing applies to original Star Fox as well. There's a guy, uh, I believe on the Nintendo Age forums, that will... Uh, customize your Star Fox cart to run at a better frame rate. That's awesome. That's a that the Nintendo Age forums is actually where a lot of the repro guys have come from, uh, and that is something that I'm just starting to get into with games like Terranigma. I ended up getting a, yeah. a repro of that. Just and uh, I talked to Mike Michael last episode a little bit about this, like getting the developers take on you know what what repros you know. What, what do they really mean to to developers? Do developers like not want that stuff out there? But I guess. The legal stuff is obviously a little a little weird, but uh, you know, again, these are games that otherwise would not be playable out in the United States, or games that were in beta that would never have come out. Uh, so it is cool mm-hmm. to at least see it out there. Yeah, I think there are, there are positive things in some cases. There are instances though where it's maybe you know the the same sentiments aren't really <laughs> the driving force behind it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if, like, is it okay if I go to Japan and I get a copy of Secret of Mana 2, you know, for five bucks, and then I buy the repro, am I good? I like the repro that's in English. Am I, am I out of the, you know, the legal waters? Right, yeah. Who knows? I, I, yeah. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, there's also a really cool uh, Star Fox competition cart, which I'm going to be talking about in a little bit because I got to go to one of those. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I I somehow lucked out by go, living near the one mall. Uh, I mean, you, you might know this mall because we were talking before that um, you grew up in Connecticut, but uh, up in the Liberty Tree Mall, like Nintendo always brought their tours there, whether it was the Super Nintendo before it even came out or the Star Fox competition when uh, that eventually came around. Uh, there was also a really cool Nintendo Power comic based on Star Fox, again, to try to sell people on the characters of the game, uh, whether it was Fox McCloud, Falco Lombardi, Slippy Toad, and Peppy Hare, the main pilots of Star Fox. And uh, I wanted to also mention, I thought this would be good. Hopefully this is going to be somewhat not, uh, won't be too time sensitive, but right now you can get this game for under $10 on ebay for the u.s cart and even i just saw a japanese version of the cart go on ebay for like seven dollars shipped to the united states whenever i'm out in japan it's like five bucks or it's like 500 yen uh so you can definitely get it for under ten dollars so it's well worth picking up for that if you did just get a and it works in the retron five right yeah 
Uh, the Retron 5 is, yeah, that, that great new console from uh, Hyperkin um, that, yeah, any games from any regional work in that uh, just fine. Cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, we got all that stuff covered and I got great news. Josh is now good to go. So we're going to take a quick break and he's going to join us when we go back to 1993 and remember our initial impressions of Star Fox. So stick around. We had to go all the way back to 1993 to find Josh. He was back there. Uh, Josh, what are you doing? I've been back here for like a couple decades just doing barrel rolls. I don't know. Um, I'm a little dizzy, a little disoriented, and I'm wearing some sort of uh, puppet suit from the cover of the game. So it's a little bit hot, a little bit stinky in here. Great. Um, so, yep. Uh, you know, Peter, if you haven't heard the show before, that's usually about as awkward as it always is. So uh, it is it is a Josh Hillier special. Um, but, Josh, we're, we're just going to, you know, keep going forward like the auto scrolling levels of the game itself. Ah, beautiful. I like that segue. Thanks. Uh, so as our guest for the show, Peter, I want to throw it off to you first. Like what what are your memories and in, in your history with Star Fox? Uh, well, I guess I, to get there i have to go back a little bit i uh i was born in 1985 and uh it, the, the original nintendo had been out for i think a few months already and i had an older brother who was about 10 years older so i grew up with the nes that was his but when it came time for my first console i wanted a sega genesis um so i got one and that was great and i loved it but at the same time i was definitely missing out on a lot of what nintendo had to offer with the super nintendo uh, uh, but I did have friends who lived um, around the corner, actually two friends in different houses lived on the same street who had Super Nintendo. So I was able to go to their houses and hang out and play some of these games that, uh, you know, obviously I knew Mario and I knew Zelda and those are wonderful. But but I didn't know about Star Fox until they had it. And when I first saw it, I was not really sure what I was getting myself into. But the day that my friend turned it on, I just remember... I remember seeing the 3D graphics like on that TV and being really confused because I had also been playing a lot of PC games and I was in the arcades as well. And so I kind of, you know, I'd seen 3D before, but never on like a home console like that. Mm-hmm. And that was what immediately blew me away. Um, and I also have a lot of love for, for space combat games. <laughs> so that made it really easy to get into. Um, yeah. Were you a fan of like the the vertical and horizontal shooters too? Is that kind of like your your R types oh, and your time. Thunder Forces and all that stuff? Big time, yeah. R type and Gradius. When yeah. I was younger, those were kind of two really big ones for me. But yeah, absolutely. You know, shmups, as a lot of people like to call them, and other people hate to have them be called. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like those a lot. So, so you you see the game at a friend's house? Is that is it like the initial reaction to run home and tell the parents? We need a Super Nintendo and a copy of Star Fox, like, right now. No, that wasn't happening. No, they, <laughs> they, they wouldn't have got me that. Um, 
but at the same time, I spent a lot more time at my friend's house, uh, you know, playing Star Fox as well. Um, he was so much better than me too. So even just watching him play, he was a little bit older. So, I mean, I must've been, I was maybe eight or nine years old when I first started playing it. So I wasn't very good, but he was. <laughs> We're all like the exact same age, uh, within a year of each other. So it, it will be, uh, fun to compare and contrast. Uh, I think we'll, we'll have some, some similar experiences. Yeah. I think this is the first time we've ever had someone who is basically, you know, that late twenties age as well. So kind of neat. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, just kind of, kind of going off, off your memory is like, was this the case where you, you just kind of like were watching him play through it or did, did he let you have the controller and let, like let you play it? Oh yeah. He was totally generous enough to let me, you know, play and I could like maybe get to an asteroid field or two, yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> but at that point I like, eventually I would falter and I would, he would let me keep playing, but I would get frustrated where I just wanted to see what was coming next. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of impressive to watch him play because he could, he could, you know, fly through that game in any one of the, the three different, uh, you know, tracks, the courses. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was good. He was fair, but he was, he should have been playing the whole time. <laughs> well, about this time period, like we're talking 1993, I don't even think virtual racing that, that gigantic, like hundred dollar right. cart was out on the Sega Genesis. And if you've seen that game, not nearly as impressive as Star Fox. No, no, I mean, the, technically, maybe it's a little impressive, but at least when it comes to game design, Star Fox had so many amazing things going for it, where it wasn't just a technical display. Mm-hmm. It, it was like that married with a really great Nintendo design, and that's what made it so special for me. Josh, how about you? When was the first time you, you got your eyes on, on Star Fox? Was it like Nintendo Power, or was it you know like Peter at a friend's house or in the store? I've been following it for a while, like the Nintendo... Um, Obsessed, I guess is the word for it. Like the Nintendo fan that I was, though, at that age. And, um, yeah, so I knew it was coming out. I knew it didn't really look like most games that were coming out at the time. And I wasn't really doing the whole PC thing. You know, Peter was talking about the PC thing a little bit, where maybe you would see some polygonal stuff like that a little bit more often. Um, And so I just kind of figured it would move really poorly. You have to remember this was a time when we didn't have trailers for everything. So um, I was actually really surprised when I saw it in motion, like at a store. And it was just so fluid, or at least I thought it was fluid. I mean, I know it's not quite 60 frames, but, uh, you know, I figured it would sort of be like stop motion animation or something like that. Um, So I was just kind of blown away that the whole thing worked. Yeah, you know, Peter, I think you sort of alluded to something like that as well. It almost seemed like too good to be true at the time. And I know that people who are just now seeing this game for the first time, maybe if you were born in the 90s or something, um, and you play it, it probably doesn't seem that impressive. And and I get that. But at the time, it was it was just sort of a graphical marvel. And uh, yeah, so I, I got the game like right away. And um, loved it. And I was actually pretty decent at it. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just I played that genre a lot. Hmm. So I was, uh, I, I, was, I was holding my own in that game for the most part. And I really liked the whole universe. And, uh, you know, some people call it what? Like uh, furries now? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm bringing it up. That's right. <laughs> um, but no, uh, like I was always cool with that, right? With the humanoid um 
kind of thing going on with uh, what, what do they call it anthropomorphic something like that yes sure yeah yeah what confused me well look, thinking back about this game getting ready for this podcast i was like how come that never struck me as odd like mm, i never thought right. about that as like anything that stood out i just kind of accepted it i was like yeah this is video games whatever well it's it's, <laughs> but, it's, it's the mascots of our time it was you know right. the, the miyamoto magic of right. being able to you know take an animal like that was what we had we had sonic we had how many different 16-bit mascots that were trying to compete with sonic and mario throughout the years uh yeah. so mm-hmm. you just kind of got numb to it well we had, and we had i was clay okay fighter with dude we had clay fighter we had <laughs> yeah. clay stop we had clay fighting clay I think the delivery of these characters, though, was much more. Um, it, it was like a, it was like a smoother presentation because you kind of mm. just got to know them like throughout. I mean, not that they had great personalities or really developed characters, but they were also weren't being like shoved down your throat. Like, hey, this is like a radical hedgehog who's fast as hell and doesn't give a shit. But you know, these were guys who were just out there to complete missions. They wanted you know each other to watch each other's backs and like help them out. And I think that's probably why I accepted it so much because they were written you know, lightly, but really well. Yeah. And, uh, that's a nice way to put it, right? It, it was light. It wasn't in your face all that much. Um, but it was definitely there. And I think that for Nintendo to make a game like this, where you have a bunch of pilots flying around, um, they would have been kind of bored just making it like, well, and here are four humans who fly these planes, Totally. you know, like star Wars or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that that just would not have even occurred to Miyamoto and the gang to make something like that. So, I mean, I totally dug the whole animal thing from, from the start. I was very much into the whole mascot thing and thought it was great. I just wish that it had some, uh, multiplayer. I remember that was my only gripe with it back in the day was that I would have friends over and they would, they, unlike you, Peter did not like watching me play the game. <laughs> So I, well, so I grew up with an older you. brother, so I was sort of trained, you know, in that system. Uh, <laughs> you get to watch for long periods of time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I grew up, his Nintendo was his and I was sort of allowed to use it when he wasn't. So, uh, see, I knew I knew all these older brothers or only children. So, yeah. Gotcha. But anyway, I thought it was great. Long story short. Yeah, it's all right. So, uh. I have a really horrible story about my brother and when we got Super Mario Brothers 3 and me just watching it. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, but it, it was still <laughs> worth it. So anyways, uh, you know, talking about my experience with the game, uh, of course, I was getting my Nintendo Power regularly. So when issue 47 came in with the cover of Star Fox and saying Super FX Heroics, they have this whole breakdown mm-hmm. on the Super FX chip and why it is going to change the, it's going to change your life. It's going to just revolutionize the world. And uh, they had a whole like twelve-page preview in there with maps and like detailing the the layout of the levels and stuff like that. And uh, of course, this was leading up to like I, I'm able to pinpoint where I was in life because this is right when my parents were getting divorced, like right at this time period. Because I remember issue uh, fifty coming out with Link's Awakening on it, and uh, I remember like. I won't get get too far into it, but uh, it was just like a traumatic time where video games played a nice pivotal role in my life. But uh, at our local mall, this has come up in the past on the show when we talked about Super Mario World and and Link to the Past, but uh, they actually came to our mall for the Star Fox competition. And, you know, they had like a dozen kiosks set up with Star Fox in there where you could 
you could play the game and you could compete up on this like this makeshift stage. But uh, the cool thing was everyone got a T-shirt. No matter what, you went home with a Star Fox T-shirt, even if you competed or not. So my brother and I oh, got wow. it. Yeah, we got Star Fox T-shirts and I wore that till it faded. Um, hey, what was on the cover of it? Like what was on the front of the T-shirt? I'm pretty sure it was just the, the Star Fox logo. Like the, was okay. it the competition logo? I don't know. Like this was so long ago. Um, yeah, it was Tell probably, us more about the shirt, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I know it was it was a white T-shirt. Uh, I'm pretty sure, but it, it could have been gray. I, I just remember having this T-shirt and then wanting to wear it to school all the time. But yes, uh, we went a long time without getting Star Fox. It it came out and it came out in the middle of the year. So I did not get a copy of Star Fox. You know, it, it was like we mentioned earlier in the show, it came out March 23rd. So sorry, my birthday is in January. Christmas is not coming up for a while. That means I'm going to be waiting a long time to play this game. Oh. Uh, so it's, it's all good, though, because uh, like I said, uh, my parents get divorced, which not not the good thing. But uh, eventually we end up going to this this uh, rental game use shop. It was just like this uh, not mom and pop shop, but it was an independent store where you could go in and you could pay a dollar to play five minutes of a game. So you just give them a buck and you can pick any game that they have. You can pop it in and play for five minutes. Uh, that's where I got to play Sonic the Hedgehog a bunch before I had a, a Sega Genesis. Uh, but one day just you have these magical moments as a kid where your parents say yes when you're in a store and you're looking at something and you can justify getting a game and this happened once with with clay fighter unfortunately and then it happened another time with star fox when they were in this store they had a used copy of this in early 1994 and i was able to get a copy for probably under 30 bucks so nice uh, we were able to justify it and I went home and I was like you guys. I was I was really blown away because it was it was different. It was way different than anything else that we had. It wasn't two D. It wasn't even like you know Wolfenstein three D, which I've experienced at someone's house on a computer. But it was completely three D and it had a cinematic look and feel to it, like nothing I'd ever played before. Um, mm-hmm. So so I never beat it, but it did introduce me to inverted controls. Which thank you for that because I ended up I've I've been inverted ever since. Uh, I've been playing Star Fox. So the game really did change your life a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean as soon as Halo came out, I inverted the controls. Like, yes. it was uh, same thing in Goldeneye. I remember having to go into the settings and, like, inverting the controls and stuff like that. But uh, I never beat it. Um, frustration sets in really easy in that game for me. Uh, at least it did back then because as soon as you start like hitting the geometry you'll start bouncing around and like it is it sounds really destructive and it almost is like uh, for for lack of a better term it's almost like irritating uh, when you when you hit stuff like that like you feel like you're actually getting like you yourself are running into that wall so Mm -hmm. um, I never got very far and I, I probably took the hard routes because I didn't understand there were hard routes in that game. I didn't know the middle was easy. You know, the left was a little bit harder and then the right was hard. Um, so that yeah, it doesn't really tell you that at all. No. Uh, well, I mean, it does. It actually tells you, it says level one, level two, level three in the map select screen. But I didn't, you know, think to look at the bottom right hand side of the screen when I was selecting my route. I just looked for what was the coolest thing to go to. And I wanted to go someplace where I got to go on planets. I didn't want to go into space. I liked the, uh, the planet levels themselves. So, uh, that's it. You know, like, you know, like I said, I I never got to, to beat it. It just kind of sat on the shelf and I eventually traded it in with a bunch of other super Nintendo stuff when I got an N64. Oh, 
<laughs> that old story. <laughs> that, well, that was every generation. I ended up trading oh, yeah. in my N64 to get Xbox stuff. And, you know, you, you, you just you did this when you didn't have the money. You went to Funko Land and you traded in your stuff and you got nothing for it. But maybe you got enough for one game. Yeah, and, and now we get to spend all sorts of new money just reclaiming those things that we sold in the past. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah, what a horrible value proposition that was in retrospect because I was never allowed to own more than two consoles at a time. Um, that was my parents' rule for whatever reason. So, like, if a new console was coming out and I wanted it, one of them had to go. One of the old ones had to go. And so I lost my entire Super Nintendo collection to that. I lost. I eventually lost my entire PlayStation setup to that. You know, just just some things that I really wish I still had. Um, and, and you know, what was the point of it all in retrospect? They had the money. I will. I I will never regret trading in my PlayStation and ten games to get a Dreamcast and NBA Two K. Honestly, was, yeah. that was a good deal for for me at the time. I was obsessed with, with NBA Two K. With how those PS One games have held up, uh, yeah, not that bad. Well, of you can a, get them for ninety nine cents right now. Well, and unless it was Symphony of the Night, I mean, honestly, you know, let's I, be real I was, here. I was playing garbage. <laughs> I wasn't playing. Yeah. I wasn't playing good stuff. Uh, right. So I wasn't. Wasn't too. T- I maybe the best game I probably had was Resident Evil Three. So uh, you know, take that for for mm-hmm. what you will. But um, before we move on, and any other stuff from from you guys, because I know uh, you know for me personally, I, I like you. I was hook, line, and sinker with the characters. Like I thought, you know, Fox McCloud was badass. I thought you know that was a great design for for a character. And I just I loved everything from the look of the of the R wings to uh, you know the the, the great huge bosses that you got to fight it was just a great package yeah no i think i think you summed it up perfectly perfect a real product of the 90s yeah no it was it was a it was an awesome game and i can't wait to talk about revisiting revisiting it because i mentioned on twitter before but this is my surprise game that we played this year i couldn't believe how much i enjoyed it so you can hear all about it as we listen to more music from Star Fox, and we'll be right back in just a second back to 2014 we inserted the flux capacitor into the r-wing and we went light speed or you could just say we used the star trek 4 reference of getting in a klingon klingon warbird and then flying around the sun at warp 9.9 or maybe it was warp 10 i think it was 9.9 something like that because warp 10 is impossible right yeah Uh, star trek so anyways uh we're gonna be kicking it off with you josh i would love to hear you know how did you play this because I'm kind of, you know, we're, you talked about this on Player One a little bit, but you got a Retron 5, so did you do, you have a Super Nintendo, but did you play it in a Retron 5, or did you play it in the hardware that it was meant to go into? I played it in the Super Nintendo because I wasn't sure it was going to work in the Retron 5. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, which I know all I had to do was just plug it in to test that. That's a lot of work. 
Yeah, exactly. I had to walk downstairs and plug it in. And actually, with how hard it is to remove games from the Retron 5, um, it is kind of a lot of work. <laughs> um, hmm. But anyway, that's that's a, a we're gonna joke. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, which uh, I have a lot of thoughts on the Retron 5, but yeah, like you said, we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, I played it on the Super Nintendo, which, uh, for those who don't know, there is no way to play this on the virtual console for either the Wii or the Wii U. It's just not available there, so... Um, if you're going to play it, you're going to be playing it on a card of some sort, whether it's Super Nintendo or Super Famicom. And uh, I thought that it held up pretty well. You know, like, it, it plays nicely on that controller. You sort of wish that you had an analog stick a little bit while you're playing it, since you're moving around in space like that. But, you know, it's, it's you're still playing with a Super Nintendo controller, which I think is the greatest controller ever made, so I was good with that. Um, the graphics definitely look a little bit dated, let's be completely honest here. Right, guys? Yes, they do. Well, I mean, it I can depends. accept the models. It's the frame rate that I think gets me more than anything. Yeah, because yeah, it dips down. What would you guess is the lowest it dips down to? <laughs> it's it's got to be around 10. Yeah, yeah. It, it chugs a little bit, but, you know, there's so many polygons on the screen, man. Oh, I know. I know. Literally dozens of polygons. Literally. Like, there are there are six-sided objects coming yeah, at there's, you. There's, there's a couple baker's dozen. You're right. Um, so that, there's something to that. And, I mean, honestly, you do. it's just a product of its time. You have to accept that. I get it. Um, but it does chug a little bit, and it's not really that beautiful. But let me say this. It's cinematic in all the right ways, and Kevin, you alluded to this a little while ago, and that's something that jumped out at me that I didn't think about much as a kid when I was playing it. But like, even from the very beginning, like they're running through the the terminal, you know, to um, to get to their R wings to fly out for their mission, and then it cuts dramatically to um, this to this wide shot, yeah, extreme there's, there's wide shot, actually. Work, right? There's yeah. camera work going on. So, so you have this extreme wide shot of the um, of the little launch pad area, and they're all coming out, you know. And instead of it, instead of it just throwing you into the game right away, so I thought that was pretty cool in retrospect. When you mix that with the really awesome music in the game, that kind of gets you pumped up. I thought that uh, they they sort of nailed the presentation of the game, which is something that you need in a game like this, where it's essentially just an on rails shooter. If we're going to be completely honest. Um, but Nintendo, being Nintendo, did some things with it to make it a lot more interesting than just an on-rails shooter. Mm. Like the actual, the branching paths and being able to fly around and dodge things. Like in, compared to most on-rails shooters, um, mobility and movement is a lot more important in this game. Yeah, what? and your crew as well. I mean, you have to yeah. kind of take care of them, and that can really influence how things move forward. I can't think of other on-rails shooters, I guess, where you have to take care of these other people. That's an awesome point, right? And they make you, as much as they can with these characters, they make you care about them. Is that is that a good thing, though? Because there's, I, I found, not to jump ahead to, to what I thought, but I, I found a lot of times, uh, or there were a lot of times where they would just literally get into the line of my fire. Yeah. And they'd be, stop hitting me, stop hitting me, stop hitting me. And then I had Falco being a dick and just telling me <laughs> to, like, you know, I didn't need your help or, you know, that was mine. Classic Falco. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, you know, I think Falco uh, was not very well, not very socially adjusted, <laughs> and um, I think that we all learned something from him that, yeah. about how we needed to interact with our friends and families. So he was the guy from uh, the Breakfast Club. Uh, uh-huh. 
Yes, you know, so smoke up, Johnny, that guy. <laughs> sure. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but yeah. He's talking about Christmas at his house. Oh, yeah, yeah. Getting yeah. A, a carton of cigarettes or whatever. Right, right. Well, that yeah. came up way before this, but uh, what route did you take? But it definitely influenced it. Josh, what uh, route did you take? Sorry, um, we're not talking about Breakfast Club anymore. No. So um, <laughs> I just took the lower route, the one that's kind of hard. So you what you took the 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 leftmost route, the medium level two, or you took yes, the bottom? Yes, it, the medium one. Okay. So yeah, I mean you know it's kind of hard, and uh, what made you do that? Because it was it was it being able to go to more planets and having to avoid the meteor stage and, and an asteroid stage because you know I think that's something that you mentioned yesterday. Yeah, I think those are awful. Like, just to be completely honest, as much as I like this game. But by doing that, you miss the best level in the game. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I'll talk about expand that on that a little bit. No, I'll talk about it later. Can, can okay. But I, I just feel like, uh, you know, in Dead Space, years later, and in so many other games, it's just boring to sit around and blast meteors. Like, <laughs> it's just, it just You're kills pulling fun. Dead Space as a reference for... for Dead Space. <laughs> Dead Space. How about how about like there's there's, I mean you could almost make the comparison to a, a better comparison would be Shadows of the Empire. Uh huh. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, if we're gonna stay in the retro cartridge world. With Dash Render. Well, yeah, I spent 110 dollars on that game, so I might as well. Yeah, you better at bring least it up every that. single time I can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Nintendo work. Nintendo 64 launch we our Christmas. Every game was 110 dollars at Funko Land. Thanks. Uh, that is insane. Wow, I forgot that was, about that. Yeah, they were like complete time. assholes. Excuse my language. Um, well, to be fair, Funko Land is pretty great for other reasons, but agree. We can move on. We can move on. <laughs> yeah, I spent many a Saturdays in that store. Um, yeah. So, so Josh, uh, going forward, you know, you obviously wanted to avoid the asteroid stages, but how was the rest of the path to Venom? Um, it, it was fine. Like <laughs> I know that that's not a very engaging answer, um, but yeah, it was. I just found myself really like enjoying flying around and like trying to and trying to fly through rings and uh, trying to avoid things and trying to like fly under objects. Like that's what I kind of fell in love with this time around was like the actual flying part. And so I wanted to do as much of that as possible and as little like blasting asteroids as possible. Peter, how does this game hold up for you? Um, So, yeah, the, the, the frame rate always it doesn't. It doesn't ruin the game for me. It's not that bad, but it always stands out to me. And for the first ten minutes, I'm always like, "Ah, this is kind of disappointing." <laughs> but um, but at the same time, the music kicks in, like you said, like you know, trying to fly through the rings, get all the upgrades, and just staying alive. I mean, I can get through this game, right? But but staying alive and, and sort of having that perfect run is is what really drives me to you know to be compelled to to want to keep playing it. And so I fell into that again really easily. Um, I don't think I took the top route. I played the one, obviously the the middle route with the, a lot of the asteroid base levels, but um, I think it was the lower one. It has the the ocean planet. Yeah. Uh, Fortuna, I think it's called Fortuna. That's a really uh, cool level. Yeah, I really like that one. And then a few minutes later, you get to Macbeth, which is like that, that just red sky mm-hmm. <laughs> level, which is just really menacing. Um, hmm. Yeah, and, and it was just really great to revisit those because I so often just think of Corneria and the asteroids. But, but yeah, seeing this stuff again was just really refreshing. It, it, for, for you, uh, 
I mean, I played a lot of Star Fox 64. Um, yes. And then yeah. th- that was just such a gigantic upgrade um, from this game. But do, do you, would you still say, you know, if people ask, like, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about checking out Star Fox. I just picked up the, the 3DS game. I'm thinking about going back. Would you still say, yeah, you know, it's totally worth checking this out at least? I mean, I would say maybe from an educational standpoint, but I don't mm. think you stand to gain much <laughs> in terms of, like, uh, like I, I still have more fun playing Star Fox 64 than I do the original. Yeah. Yeah. But an I, educational but, standpoint, expand on that a little bit. Um, well, you know, kind of what I was talking about earlier, right? Like my first experience with the game, like just sort of the, the point in time when this game came out, like where the state of the industry was, you know, what lengths these companies were going to, to one up each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's a nice sort of cultural touchstone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think everyone remembers Star Fox as the game that sort of introduced, um, well, at least prove that Nintendo. So Sega, Sega's approach to introducing new technology was to create add-ons and all these big things that were really expensive and people weren't really asking for. Nintendo exactly. slipped it into a game. Like it, it was so streamlined, it didn't ask anything of you except to just experience it and just put you know put it in your regular system. And I think for me, you know, kind of just remembering those two different tacks, like Star Fox is a really good uh, example of, you know, it encapsulates how smart Nintendo was back then. Hmm. Um, and I don't know that people will get that just from playing the game, but uh, maybe, you know, you have someone to kind of <laughs> inform, you know, you know, where, you know, what this game meant when it came out. Uh, and then yeah, that, you that's, listen that's to this podcast. Reason. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's the well said though, that, that really explains exactly what you meant by that, that, you know, it's sort of, situates the game historically and it is an important game for those reasons well just look at what sega was putting out on the sega cd at the same time like what would you rather right. play star fox or you know drop 200 bucks on a sega cd and then play something like sewer shark like or rebel assault and- <laughs> oh god gross yeah like the, yeah. The, it just couldn't compare and nintendo made a you know kind of had a stance on this for even the nes like it was just like if you wanted to make a game better don't do an add-on Put more chips in the, the cart. Um, Street Fighter yeah. Alpha 2, we've talked about on the show a couple times. Yeah. Like, holy crap, what they were able to do with Street Fighter Alpha 2 on a Super Nintendo is mind-boggling. Right. And a game that will not work on the Retron 5. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. Bummer. I didn't know that. It, that well, actually least, is on the virtual console, though. That is, right. Yeah, Although, you know what's funny is that there are, there are reports of them playing Street Fighter Alpha 2 on the Retron 5 at trade shows. And I think there's even footage of it online. I couldn't get it to work, and it worked just fine on my Retron uh, Three. <laughs> so maybe some bait and switch going on here. I, I, I'm not. I don't think I'm, <laughs> I would insinuate that. But yeah, you know, maybe they, a firmware update is just in order, and that's precisely you know, fix something like that. I mean, that's probably the the best thing with that you know piece of hardware is that they can do stuff like firmware to to fix any of those uh, issues and things like that. I'm here to tell you guys that you guys are really disappointing me with your enthusiasm for this game because i i had such a blast playing through this game and i came into this saying like oh you know peter chose chose star fox so sure i mean we were gonna do it eventually it gets us to star fox 64 and i can eventually play that game so all right i'll I'll boot up star fox and and play through it i i have fallen in love with this game i took i took i I, i streamed this online on twitch and you know, there is video footage of just my gasp because I've never played through this game completely. 
I started with the lower path before realizing that was super hard and I was getting my ass kicked. So um, I realized that the middle path was the easy route. So I went in there and from stage to stage, I was just uh, having a blast. And even if it was like on the, uh, I mean, Josh, you were mentioning before, you go to the asteroid stage and yeah, you have to, you have to shoot some asteroids, but you know, it's still fun. You're still flying around. You're like avoiding stuff. And I was playing this with uh, stereo headphones on. So obviously it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, echoing into my, my feed, but the, uh, the game itself with stereo headphones on is even better because you can hear things mm. like, like whizzing, like whizzing by your head, you know, or, or your ship. Uh, so that, that paid off big time. And, mm. You get to the space armada level, which, uh, for my money, I, I think is still the. It might be the best level in the game for me. Uh, first off, because and, and this is another thing to t- to take a step back. I didn't I didn't realize this game had a good soundtrack. Like I didn't ever think, oh yeah, yeah you know, I'm going to go listen to the Star Fox soundtrack because like, yeah. that's something that you know people always talk about. I don't think people really talk about this soundtrack and. From stage to stage, you download that soundtrack. You find a way to download it on the internet or listen to it on YouTube. And track after track is just superb. And it gets you fired up. It is awesome, like space opera, epic stuff with a little bit of like rock in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, it was Koji Kondo at the height of his career. Yeah. Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, that, that's the thing. When I was. Again, I, I use Wikipedia for, for my sources for this, but when I was looking at the credits, Koji Kondo um, was in there as the composer. So I don't know if he, he worked together with the other composer, uh, Hajime uh, Hirasawa, that I mentioned before, but, or maybe that might be a Wikipedia mistake. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, again, g- going back to, to playing through it, like there was such such joy just flying through and like avoiding. I mean, it's stupid that you're like avoiding you know, shapes that are flying at you. And it's not even like asteroids. Like you're just avoiding shapes and the bosses aren't very hard, but you, you like, you can barely just like you, you hold down the R button and you turn sideways and you just whiz through this really small opening. And then you yes. hit L and then you go through this other, and then you double tap R to do a quick turn, right real fast to get to the far right of the screen. And I didn't think of it as like an on rail shooter. And I never even thought about this game as an on rail shooter. It's making me want to go play um, stuff like uh, what's that N64 game that everyone always mentions? Uh, Sin and Punishment. Thank you. Yes, um, and and it's, it's a great it, game. It's sequel on the week. Well, I have mm. to check it out now because now uh, you now people were saying on the stream like that. It's like Sin and Punishment. So go check that out. Oh yeah, get the one on the Wii because it's so cheap and it's it's one of the best games on the system. Done deal. I'll do it. I'll do it after the show. Um, so. Uh, with Space Armada, you're you're going through that stage, and it is yeah, it's open space, and you're you're avoiding uh, asteroids and stuff like that. But there are uh, you know cuts where you will fly into enemy ships, and you have to like destroy the enemy core, and you're avoiding like it is it is the scene from Return of the Jedi over right. and over again, like that last scene, and you're you're avoiding you know panels on the right and panels on the left, and then you're going up, you're going down, like the whole time you're going. Phew, and then you're hearing stuff and you're just like, oh man, I just barely made that. And then you destroy the core and you can like see the explosions coming up around you and you just barely make it out with like remnants of the ship coming mm-hmm. out behind you. And you do the same thing for the boss in that level. You fly into like this big mothership and the boss battle is like, 
not super hard, but uh, at the end, you just like at the last second, you you dart out of there and the whole thing explodes <laughs> behind you. I'm like, holy crap, like this is just so much fun. I can't believe I didn't like, why didn't I just force myself as a kid to play through this game? I guess I ended up going and playing something else. Like I was probably playing like Doom on the Super Nintendo instead or something like that. But um, like I said, even the meteor stages were were a ton of fun and I just had a blast and I even went through it again this morning and I went through it uh, yesterday on the medium path uh, almost all the way to the... I didn't go to the very last stage, but I went to the second to last stage just so I saw um, some more of the planets and heard some more of the music. And with the music, like every boss has their own music. Mm -hmm. And uh, like even back then, I would hear uh, the music like, oh, oh, oh. It just like reminded me of Wizard of Oz. I didn't like that movie very much, but it reminds mm-hmm. me of it. So um, I had to mention that. But you guys are right. Frame rate, not so good. Um, the crew getting in the way, not so cool. Uh, and I wish there were more stages on but, on planets. I mean, it is still totally playable, though. I mean, all the frame rate stuff aside, you know, just it, more mentioning that, yeah. that is that is a thing that you have to deal with. But it's completely playable. Yes, totally. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a game that you should avoid. I think you should totally play it. Uh, you should also totally play Star Fox 64. <laughs> yeah, I needed that frame rate. I needed that slowdown on those those last stages to avoid because there's yeah, there's a point um, on the very last stage, Venom, where there's just like columns coming down and from the side and then down and from the side. And then you're just like literally just going sideways, you know, vertical, sideways, vertical and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So I was just like when, when I made it through that, I'm like, oh, my God, I, I made it through that. And it was just maybe it was it, it might have something to do with just playing it with an audience and. And you, you, you're kind of like having that shared experience with like, mm-hmm. it sounds lame, but it's like having that experience if you had friends on the couch with you and like cheering you on yeah. and stuff like that. Because they were like, you could just see it in the chat, like they were cheering you on as you're you're getting <laughs> through. But um, now I'm interested. I want to go get a repro of Star Fox 2 and see what that is. Yes. Um, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> we, I, uh, someone in the office actually got a repro not too long ago. What do you think? And, um, uh... I think it's okay that it didn't come out. <laughs> it's well, very it like 3D. Like you're actually like flying around. It's not. There on are rails some of those so sections. Much. There are some of those sections. The levels are incredibly out. short. Um, the game itself is over in like 15 minutes. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. The uh, I think I think it, it it would have been interesting, but I don't know if it would have been remembered as fondly as the original Star Fox. That, that's just my take too. You know. Hmm. Well, okay. that, that 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 brings up a good point of the the stages in Star Fox are way longer than I remember them. Yeah, uh, and maybe Star Fox sixty four's levels are just shorter. But um, I, I I had so much fun with this with this game, and then I, I I got the soundtrack for it, and I've been listening to it like the last forty eight hours, and it just make it's 
I, I, you, you can probably hear my voice. It's putting a big ass smile on my face just thinking <laughs> about this game and how I cannot wait to uh, you know play Star. I went on eBay and I got a copy of Star Fox sixty four because I, I have the three DS game, but I want to try it. Uh, you know, or I should say, play it on the because who didn't get Star Fox sixty four? You needed a Rumble Pack. You got exactly. Star Fox sixty four. So did um, you get it in box, Kevin? Complete in the big box. Yes. Okay, I love that huge <laughs> box with the rumble pack in there. Every, everyone yeah. had that thick ass cardboard box with your includes rumble pack, and it was only sixty bucks. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> so we play a lot of Star Fox sixty four in the office. My uh, <laughs> my awesome. coworker is Maxwell McGee is the best at that game, and uh, we recently ordered the promotional VHS tape that yes. uh, that they sent out and watched that, and it's this incredibly dark s- scenario where. Uh, I want to say Sega employees or just people wearing shirts that said Sega on them. Yeah, were, they kidnapped like, torture. Right? They were they kidnapped Mario and they were like torturing <laughs> Mario. <laughs> I just, that was really interesting. Um, but Wait, uh, yeah. like, what what were they doing to him? <laughs> They're interrogating they him, chair. right? Yeah, they were like interrogating him, yeah. trying to figure out what Nintendo was going to do, like what they were coming up with oh, next. No. I think they hooked him up to like an electric, like like some sort of car battery at one yeah. point. You didn't oh, get yeah. this. Goodness. This was the Nintendo Power. Like this was part of their like donkey. You get your Donkey Kong Country VHS. Like I got that, and then you got yeah. your Star Fox uh, VHS, and there was the Nintendo sixty four. Like, th- like here comes the Nintendo sixty four. Check out all this hot, you know, hot stuff that's coming out on it. So you, of course, even though you already know you need to get one, you just got to you know badger your parents even more for one. Yes. Beautiful. They did a great job with those. Those VHSs are like super dumb, but uh, for 15 minutes, they totally like. I would watch that VHS over and over and over again because, <laughs> look, it, it's it's video. It's like why we watch The Wizard over and over and over yes, again. Yes, exactly. Well, and like the Tomodachi Life um, Nintendo Direct that they did, that was like 15 minutes long. Really, kind of reminded me of that style. You know, like kind of hokey, cool. campy, intentional, um, intentionally like make you cringe it's so bad but like you love it at the same time yeah and on a on a uh, similar note if you ever go and check out the um turbo graphics promo videos that are up on youtube like there are hour-long turbo graphics like videos vhs's that they would send to distributors like showing a guy going into an arcade but bringing uh, a turbo graphics 16 and a copy of blazing lasers and then mm-hmm. the kid would start playing it already or they'd bring in um uh, Lords of Thunder. You'd be like, "Oh man, this is way better than anything that's in the arcade. I can play this at home." It was just, it was. It's. Uh, I'll see if I can. If hopefully I'll remember to link to it in the show notes because this was just an era of awesome, awesome stuff like that. That thank God people have preserved and put them up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah I was watching a, a thing earlier today, uh, just sort of going back to you know revisit some Star Fox footage and there, just some of the news reports that were coming out around the time of the Super Nintendo. There's one in particular where parents thought Nintendo was manipulating people through marketing to get these kids to want new toys. And these parents were so defiant. They're like, no, I'm just going to say no. And I'm going to explain to him what marketing does to people and what it makes them do Yeah, right. <laughs> to like her seven year old son or something. <laughs> like, phenomenal. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube from that age. that's golden. What? Was it? Uh, didn't Blake talk about something like that? Blake, who wrote Console Wars. Well, we actually did. We recorded earlier today uh, another interview, and he talked a little bit about that and how that stuff that stuff's going to be in the the documentary. But you can you can definitely check some of that stuff out um, on on YouTube just to see uh, the news reports. And Frontline did a great piece on uh, you know how uh, Nintendo's anti uh, competitive practices and things like that, where they had uh, cool clips from. Uh, uh, 
Zelensky from, uh, I think it was CES 92 or something like, or no, maybe it was like 89. I think it was probably like 89 because Tengen also had a, a big piece in that as well. Just talking about how Nintendo won't let us, you know, make games. And then now <laughs> Toys R Us won't even let us sell our games in their stores because Nintendo's strong arming them and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. the, uh, I just remember the best bit that I saw from that news story, if you don't mind me bringing it up Absolutely, one more time. Yeah. The, uh, so they cut to a guy who was sort of explaining what is so great about the Super Nintendo, according to Nintendo. And at one point, he turns away from the camera, so his back is facing you know, the audience, and it, an F-Zero comes on the screen, and they superimpose his torso up to his head <laughs> onto like, one of the racing pods. That's awesome. And so as the game is playing, they, like, they have him like on top top of the cart explaining what super you know what's so great about super nintendo he goes <laughs> off a jump at one point he like goes with the ship that was one of the strangest things i've ever seen <laughs> and that was intentional i take it totally intentional and just like the guy who decided to do that like made it much harder for them than <laughs> like they needed it to be for that broadcast but the results were like it gave me ideas for megabit the the stream we do here <laughs> i would like to do something that huh. weird so yeah, yeah like some really creative person working at a news station Right, yeah, this for this really dry delivery, just you know, discussing the business of video games, and That's they just awesome. like, what if we take Ted and we cut him into the game? <laughs> like, this would look cool. Well, it's like making avant-garde news stories, I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, with with F Zero, the great thing about it is that the car stays in the middle the whole time, so it couldn't it have does. been too bad it, unless but, he jumps. Unless he jumps, right? Yeah. So yeah, the jump part it did go out of sync a little bit, but for the most part, right? It was like, oh well, it's just there in the middle, so why not? Oh man, video games were so awesome back then. I, I uh, let's take a quick break because we're going to be coming back and, and talking with Peter a little bit more about uh, what he does over there at GameSpot. So uh, stick around. Here's even more Star Fox music. It is so good. Go search for the soundtrack. I'm going to go check with my people in Japan. Hopefully, there is a CD version of the soundtrack because it's just so damn good. Stick around. We'll be right back. back this is the part of the show that uh is a little time sensitive but we're going to be talking about some cool stuff this week so if you just wanted to come to hear about star fox this would be the time to go and maybe you want to go get you know star fox 64 and check that out but uh we're going to be here and talking about uh some cool things that peter's working on and also to talk about the retron 5 but uh you know peter we talked a little bit about it at the start of the show but uh you know one of the greatest things on, on GameSpot, just because of obviously I'm really into retro stuff, you do a great video series on there called Megabit. And a couple weeks back, you did Hyperstone Heist. Not Ooh. Turtles in Time, <laughs> but Hyperstone yeah. Heist. And Josh, you'll remember that I had, I had to like seriously go to bat for Hyperstone Heist. You did, you did. Um, Kevin's a serious fan, and th- th- and it's more, ex- it's almost as expensive, if not more expensive, than Turtles in Time on eBay. So I think people are starting to figure it out. But why, why did you pick Hyperstone Heist over over Turtles in Time? Uh, I like the way that the, and this is pretty superficial. I really like the way that the graphics are rendered 
in uh, Hyperstone Heist. Mm. Um, it's a shorter game too, so I felt like I could get more out of the stream yeah. by possibly getting through it. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. No, 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 that's it. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there's like really cool stuff in that game. Not only having the fantastic uh, soundtrack from Konami, which um, when we did that episode, I had to, I had to like you know edit in back to back comparisons of songs and just say it's not of course it's not as good as the you know sony hardware that's inside of the the super nintendo but for fm synth they do a pretty good job and also you have the cool options of the and you mentioned this on the stream of the uh like the anime color options for for the turtles too right exactly yeah i actually i hadn't known about that before it was kind of surprising to find that it's a, it's a really cool touch, but um, so what what was the thought process? Did you just kind of like go to the higher ups and say, um, "I really love old games. Can we just you know do like an hour long show every week? How does that work?" So we were trying to do a lot of streaming um, in the past, and then it was kind of just like all over the place. Like we had some regular segments, but they really wanted to have like you know weekly programming that people could expect. Um, and it's no secret around the office that I love old games. I mean. You look at most people's desks around here, there are, you know, PlayStation 4s, maybe an Xbox 360. I have those, but I also have a Dreamcast, a Japanese Saturn, a Retron 5, you know, Nintendo 64. Um, so people people know that I love this stuff, and uh, and they were asking me to sort of come up with a show, and, and it seemed pretty simple to come up with that one. I, uh, I, I like doing it. I think I want to do more streams maybe that are less produced uh, in terms of, like, the production values and the formatting because... If you've seen it, you know that I'm just god-awful on stream <laughs> at the games that we play. Um, and that's not indicative of what I can do in real life, I don't think. So, yeah, I kind of... What's I, the reason know, for that? Um, <clears throat> well, we got really strong lights on my face. Uh, okay. I've got a co-host I'm interacting with right next to me. There's a chat I'm answering questions to. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we got production staff running around. Yeah, there's a lot of distractions. And it's, it's very much about sort of me doing my best to keep people interested. I gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, if I could kind of do my own streams on the side, then I think the games would do that for themselves. And, uh, you know, I'm also, you know, because we're trying to get, you know, strong audiences, we try to pick games that people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily get to showcase random stuff because you've probably never heard of, you know, some of these games, right, that I, that I, would, that I would like to play. So, uh, so yeah, I, Megabit's fun. You know, they let me do it. It's, uh, some weeks are better than others. We had a great time last week doing... Um, uh, Lion King on Genesis. Hmm. Uh, everyone seemed to like revisiting those old Disney games, so we're playing Aladdin uh, this Monday. And, oh, which uh, version? <laughs> we are going with the Virgin-made Genesis version, not the Capcom Super Nintendo version. Okay. That right. Tommy Tallarico joint. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I would argue it has better animations, better yeah. sound, yep. and you get to use a sword. Yep. So check check and check um (laughs) so for 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 you like i mean you you probably have a you know better idea than than us but but what has been the response for for like the retro gaming stuff is there has there been like a a growing audience for that over the you know the last couple months and and what what have you kind of felt from from your audience over there at at, uh, GameSpot? i said you know we have like a lot of really dedicated like viewers and readers that that come back no matter what we do and they're always there and they always appreciate it you know certain games definitely draw an audience because you know if somehow our our stream is sort of like like highlighted on twitch's homepage, people don't necessarily see GameSpot and click on it but they see oh Mega Man x you know and they click on that mm-hmm. um 
So I'd say it's still nostalgia-driven for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that the broader appreciation for just games from the past has opened up quite yet. Um, a lot of our audience is sort of coming for the AAA coverage mm-hmm. of stuff. So, But on the other hand, I'd say outside of GameSpot, it's quite easy to see that retro gaming is becoming a popular hobby among people our age and, and older and even younger mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I like that I get to do something on GameSpot, I, but I love doing stuff like this where I can sort of dip into the community a little bit more. Hmm. So uh, on, you know, future episodes, you, you mentioned, you know, sometimes you're, you're playing, you're just, you know, trying to get as much involvement as possible. You're trying to pick out games that, that people remember. Is there a game that's like on your, your wish list of, of, of wanting to play and wanting to, to share with people that might be a little bit of a hidden gem? That's a very challenging question. Um, I would like to play, and this would require a whole lot of practice, but I would like to play Musha. Mm, yeah, uh, for the Genesis. Yeah, it's a game made by Compile. They've uh, It's from the Aleste series, which is do a series of Do you own a copy of that? I do. Holy crap. I, uh, I lucked out. There was a video store that was selling copies of their, their old stock on uh, Half.com, which is sort of like a retail extension of eBay. Mm. Uh, I paid 100, 130 bucks, but it's complete. And I only had to clean some sticker residue off the box. So, uh, but yes, the game is, is rare, sought after, expensive, but it's also an amazing shmup. Yeah. It's got a really great intro sequence that sort of like gets you into the game. The, the backgrounds are really well detailed. It's fast. You have these, these sort of options, those little sh- Ships that follow you around, you can have them. You know, you can assign all these different behaviors to them. It's just a really impressive game. I don't. I, I don't know if people are familiar enough with it that it would draw an audience, but I would really love to highlight Musha. For Here's what you do: you you play Ocarina of Time, <laughs> and, and then you pop it in all of a sudden. Have someone just like tilt the cart in the system, like, oh, I guess Ocarina's broken. So okay, well, uh, uh, Musha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've wanted to do multi-game streams. I'm thinking, you know, there, there are opportunities to do stuff on my own where I highlight games that I want, but also do longer streams that are sort of, you know, like a Genesis stream where I play a bunch of different Genesis games or any other console. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. That 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 game is like, if for, for just for reference for people, there are loose copies of that game that go for $200 on, on yeah. eBay. It is very expensive. It's gotten better. It's gone down a little bit. Uh, once in a while, I kind of look it up just to see, like, is this getting more valuable? I mean, I I don't collect to resell. I don't collect because games are rare necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also very curious once in a while. Just Things like that, to me, are indicative of the market at large, sure. you know? Um, so, yeah. So, uh, also, both of you guys have gotten your hands on uh, Retron 5. Peter, you did a, a really... Uh, great video going in depth with the the Retron Five, and I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like on the show in the past, I've been kind of uh, really uh, wary of this hardware just because in the in the uh, previous iterations of their consoles, you know, there's been some issues with you know running certain games that, that don't work on there and then things like that. But uh, what are your thoughts? And then Josh, we'll go to you since you just got your hands on one too. Sweet. Um, well, so at home, you know, like at my desk, I've got, you know, my laptop where I do work, play some PC games, but then I have a CRT TV mm-hmm. and I've got Nintendo, Super Nintendo and Genesis hooked up oh, there. That's awesome. And so that for me is like my little nook. You know, I, I time travel to the past. I play my games the way I remember them. 
but there are plenty of scenarios where I find myself wanting to play these games elsewhere. And as I'm sure you guys definitely know, and your audience is probably aware, taking those old games that are, you know, the resolution is 240p, any TV that upscales that, you know, to 720p or 1080 will have frame delay. And that's just like a big problem, right? So that's, to me, where something like the Retron 5 becomes a good thing, a great thing in some ways, because it lets you play your old games, you know, on modern displays without any headaches for the most part. <laughs> uh, and they, and the they look great. <laughs> they, look, they look really good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, beyond that, too, I think it offers, uh, I think it offers a lot of good features that maybe, <clears throat> um, you know, like things like save states, right? Uh, a lot of these old games, they're not, they don't always hold up the best and they're really challenging in ways that we, we don't really experience nowadays. Um, and I think save states are really helpful if you want to get through stuff. And obviously those have existed in emulators for a while, but, uh, if you want to sit down with a super Nintendo controller and have save states and play it on your HD TV, then Retron's great. Uh, it does have issues though. Uh, it, it kind of can manage, it'll dump saves off of a cartridge or at least copy them. And you emulate it locally in the system, and from there it will save to the system. You can upload saves back to the cartridge, but I actually lost saves on some of my games. Um, and that comes down so, to a few different factors, and it's, that's pretty bad. So, like, okay, so you lost them when you were trying to put them back on a cartridge? I believe what happened was it was linked to the past. Mm-hmm. I. It, you know, because when you put in a card, it, I think there might be an option to turn this off, but it automatically dumps the battery to the system. Right. Um, I hadn't tried to write it back, but I put it in the Retron Three because I was doing you know video comparisons, and I was like, "Wait, where did my save go? The first slot was was empty." And I said, "Okay, well, I'll just go back, copy it from the Retron to my cart. Things will be fine." I couldn't do that. It, it, it would say that it, that it would finish writing. There was nothing there. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was really disheartening because that was my save where I had, you know, you know, complete hearts, you know, it was the end of the, the game. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and that's, that's pretty bad. I think that's, that's a feature where it's, you're almost better off if you can, if there is that option to disable the save dumping and just use the saves locally on the Retron, which yeah, kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, um. Yeah, and then uh, Super Mario RPG has a bunch of encryption that got in the way of that as well. Hmm. Um, and then there are games that just don't work, like Street Fighter Alpha 2. Uh, because, you know, in that case, it decompresses things on the cartridge yep. while the game is playing and loading. Hmm. And for whatever reason, the Retron's emulators can't, can't do that. Which also <laughs> brings into the question, you know, what are these emulators? Uh, you know, who, you know, did they, are these open source ones that they've sort of, gra- like, latched onto and are they using them? Or... Are these made in house? No one really knows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and right now a few other cards aren't working. Right, pretty notable ones like Sonic and Knuckles. Right, exactly. The past, yeah, it just dumps the first cart. It doesn't doesn't pull the other ones. Right. Um, what else? Any other issues? How do you feel about the uh, pin connections and removing carts? Because that's something that a lot of people who listen to right. our show are going to be concerned with. Is you know, is this going to damage my cards in any way, or is you know, one of the slots going to stop working after a while? What do you think about that? There, so yeah, they are manufactured to be very tight, and I think that is to <clears throat> you know attempt to get a better connection with them. I don't believe. I actually can't say for certain, but it seems to me that the only issue. 
that you should worry about is if the, the pins on the inside of the Retron 5 are of a metal that is stronger than the copper mm-hmm. connections on the, the carts. If they're not, then I don't really see that as an issue because you're not going to, to wear down a stronger metal with a weaker metal. Right. Uh, so if it's just aluminum, or I, don't know, I don't know what it would be, but, but I think that it should be okay. Um, it's, it's definitely disconcerting, though. <laughs> I mean, you have to, for the Genesis games, at least initially, you have to hold down the system and you know, yank pretty significant, significantly to get that card out. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, honestly, as much as I appreciate the Retron 5, um, that, that's a bad feeling. You know, like that doesn't, that just, it feels wrong. It doesn't like go you're definitely well. gonna break. Like it feels like you're going to break something while you're doing that. Yes, it does. Yeah. The only, the only slot that's normal is the Game Boy Advance one. Yeah. That one's pretty nice. Yeah. Which uh, that's one of the better things about the system, by the way, is the easy ability to play Game Boy, Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance games. Um, like, I, I don't know why I, I, like I had a super Game Boy. I still do. Um, and I had the. I don't know if I ever actually had the GameCube player or not, but either way, like I've played these games on TVs before, and um, it's just really convenient having it sitting right there with all of those other things, like you know, on your big screen TV. Yeah. And uh, you know, I played I played Rhythm Tengoku for a while, and <laughs> you know, which maybe that wasn't the best game to play because of a bit of input lag, um, but at the same time, it looked great on the TV. I think the uh, the Famicom slot is also really helpful if you collect mm-hmm. Famicom games at all. Because in, in the past, you'd have to, you know, take an American game, kind of gut it to pull the converter out of some of those early Nintendo games that had yep. that. And, you know, you're, it, it just presented, it, it was, there was a lot of sort of steps involved, and it wasn't always great. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you were trying to do it in a front-loading NES. Oh, my God. You have to, like because those carts are so short to get the converter and the Famicom cart in the system, you, like you actually, and then to pull the converter out, you have to like put your fingers in and do this really difficult movement. Um, yeah. And the top loader, they're backwards. So <laughs> the restaurant five is nice. Cause you just put it in, it works. And, uh, even, uh, Akumajo Densetsu, which is the Japanese version of Castlevania three, mm-hmm. uh, that has a special audio chip in it. And the Retron 5 handles that really well. So that game, yeah, awesome. that game sounds phenomenal on the Retron 5. That game's expensive. Um, so it, this is... I'm, I'm, I'm still going to keep pushing my, my pro uh, frame meister agenda for people that yeah. want to upscale stuff. I know it's, it's, it is the trade off though. It's 140 versus $350. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that you brought up the, just being able to play uh, Famicom games where even if you just want something with composite output, you're going to be spending a little bit more to get one of the AV Famicoms that are out there, whether it's the, and it was weird when they re-released like, or they had the revision of the, the NES and the Famicom that was the, the top loader in the United mm-hmm. States like they only had an RF output in the United States but it's an AV output like it has a Super Nintendo jack in the back like AV jack in the back in for the Famicom in Japan like that would be the perfect system if they just had that composite output in the United <laughs> States but uh, that is uh, you know definitely a consideration for people that are interested in, in checking one of those out I am, uh, I'm still on the hunt for a sharp Famicom twin but that's a discussion for another <laughs> September. <laughs> September. I, they, they have them at Friends all the time. Yeah, I, I really want a red one. It's I heavy. Need, I need a red one. How um, much do they go for? Like Two hundred average. They can go. Yeah, they can go about that price. Like a while back when I first went to Japan, they, they were maybe a little bit less than a hundred. But the people, I, I guess, are now more aware of them. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, um, I've been I've been scoping them out on eBay too, and it is it's nice if you can get a reseller reseller that like specifically states like we replaced the belt. Oh, there was a guy in Canada who had a. I saw just, that the, the red one, the beautiful red one, <laughs> like like a week a week or two oh, ago, God, right? Yeah, I was watching that so hard, and when I finally decided to go buy it, it was gone. And yeah. It was terrible because he's like. We opened it up. We cleaned every part by hand, inside and out. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll pay you the extra money. That's funny. That, um, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I, was, I was thinking the same thing, but I'm like, oh, no, I just spent like $500 on, on video games on eBay because I was sitting in a hotel with nothing to do for a weekend. So um, that, that, you know, dumb stuff like that, that happens. But, um, you know, so Josh, you're, you're pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, for what I needed it to be, which is a way to play stuff in our den, because I have this retro room upstairs um, where I have a beanbag chair and I have um, a lava lamp and I have basically every major console all hooked up to a CRT television. So I can get that stuff when I want to. But this is this is nice for like when I want to play stuff with my wife sure. or like I want to show my daughter something quickly or whatever. Like it, it's... It's just extremely convenient. And that's what you're paying for, is the convenience more than anything. And I know that not everybody has a spare room in their house to have a retro room like what I'm describing. So, you know, if that's you, if you have a pretty tight setup, and or maybe there's a significant other in your life who doesn't want you to have a ton of consoles hooked up, which, you know... Uh, you need to make sure you think about that when you find someone. But anyway, um, if maybe they don't want you to have every console hooked up, this could be uh, something that would be exactly what you would need. And like I was talking about this on Player One Podcast, but my wife uh, has been playing Maniac Mansion because it's so easy to display it in the room where she always is instead of like going to my uh, sort of uninviting uh, retro game room to play it, you know, to sort of isolate herself. She can sit in the main room, play it with a Super Nintendo controller, by the way, which that's something that we didn't talk about yet, that you can use any controller for any system's games. So yeah, you can you know. remap the buttons, you can, you know, total flexibility. Yeah. And hey, it's look easy at to Nintendo, do. look at, you can do that on the 3DS. If the Retron 5 can do it, you can remap buttons on the 3DS Virtual huh? Console too. Think about it. Yeah, we're looking at you, Trennan. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Bill. And you can do it on the Game Gear, but not the other. Like Jesus, not- Sega has done a, such a good job of handling their their classic releases on the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. the those those sort of 3D remakes of a lot of their classic arcade games are so mm-hmm. good, so so good. And they, and there's a bunch of there's a series of articles on uh, SiliconERA.com where they detail the process of creating the emulators and and sort of tailoring these games for. Uh, those remakes that's a really interesting read that i would recommend let's check that out absolutely um so uh, my my crazy project for the last uh week or so has been uh i don't know how i got convinced to do this but it just (laughs) i finally i've looked at this in the past but i got tipped over to the edge to you know go to uh i think it's oh god i did a video on this too but uh if you go to the coverproject.net you can get you can print out covers for pretty much any game that has come out on the Super Nintendo and the Genesis and the NES and, you know, some of the later consoles. And you, they're specifically made for these cases that are sold uh, at mediashelving.com. You can get 100 cases for $60 plus shipping for reference. My shipping was about $20 to go from California to Massachusetts. But um, I have used all 100 cases that I've received so far. And I bought a a new printer for $99, a nice Canon printer and some glossy paper. And I've been printing like a madman and, uh, and using a a nice, uh, 
paper cutter to to cut these these covers out and it is uh, a really fun project to do if you go to back of my play.com i actually have uh two videos up there now with you know the the process and and you know how to get it all set up correctly and then also what the uh final uh product look like looks like and also how to modify the cases to fit nes games which is uh, a little bit of an adventure but these things look super good. I really recommend going to backofmyplay.com and just see how they look because it is awesome. It's like having a rental store in your house, having mm. all these plastic cases with like uh, – these people – I love retro ga- the retro game community, whether it's the uh, reproduction carts or stuff like this where people have like gone into Photoshop and created these custom covers so all your boxes like line up and match together and stuff like that and they've even done like some Japanese games so uh, it's just been it's not that expensive like you're talking about you know 80 bucks for 100 cases plus you you know if you have a decent photo printer which I didn't have like you'll be fine with that and then you're going to be spending some money on ink but other than that like it just it looks amazing it looks really really good yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead, uh, Peter. You can go ahead. I was just saying that I'm very curious about doing that myself because uh, definitely preservation is one of the things that I care about, and uh, seems like kind of a necessary step for some of these games that are loose. Well, I mean, that's that's what my thought was because you get the, the, these cases themselves are already set up for Genesis games, uh, Super Famicom games, Super Nintendo games. Uh, you can fit a Famicom game in there, uh, no problem. And you also, I'm, pretty much any card is going to fit in there. The only thing I couldn't fit in was a, a Super Game Boy. And uh, they also make uh, special covers for CD based games. So there's DVD case covers for like all the Sega Saturn games and all your um you know your other games out there that you know those Sega Saturn cases are absolute garbage so um if you want to put them in something that's a little bit more secure and not you know made out of fragile crystal plastic uh you can do that but uh for me like like you said Peter it was you know taking care of of the games themselves and preserving the labels because like it's weird now you're seeing discolored carts and stuff like that um and I'm just you know wanting to kind of protect the investment because now games are expensive and i bought a bunch of games on ebay which is not the best way to do it um, i just want to make sure that those things are are taken care of well the other thing is that this allows you to not have to worry about something being complete in box correct um, you know like unless you really want the actual box in some cases i understand that but for some games that might not be a big deal for you yeah, think- yeah I'll, I'll chase down complete genesis stuff because that's sort of almost easier to find obviously because of the plastic cases but super nintendo you're paying such a premium because those things have disintegrated in people's homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're falling apart. So for me, yeah, it's like the Super Nintendo stuff is what I want to box up. Yeah, I, I will say the, the the printouts that they have for the um, Universal Game Cases for the Genesis stuff are just like the original box art. So uh, right. one positive for that stuff is that if you do have those later Genesis releases like X-Men 2 uh, that came in or like uh, like all those games that came out in the cardboard boxes, um, yeah. Comic Zone is another one, and you Vector Man one and two, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to, and even the reprint of Castlevania Bloodlines, Majesco. Um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I know. And, and they also did um, a bunch of Contra Hardcore. Correct. As well. yeah. yeah. So you have to watch out if you're going to buy that on eBay. Make sure you don't buy the cardboard. Uh, version of that. Uh, there's even a guy, and you probably have seen this, Peter. There's a guy on eBay that's selling. Like he just must have boxes 
of Castlevania Bloodline sealed, uh, the cardboard versions with uh, $9.99 price stickers, like clearance price stickers on them, and you sell them for like $80, and they're selling. Um, So that's one of those, it's one of those earthbound-like stories. You find it on the clearance section, now it's worth, uh, you know, 800% more. But the... uh, it has been really cool to do, and it, it, it has uh, allowed me to, you know, box the stuff up, and it has, like, a nice uniform look. And I, like I said, I have pictures and videos on backofmyplay.com. You can't miss it if you go on there. But uh, go go do it. It's worth the investment, and, uh, you know, we'll even help the resale value if you're into that, if you want to be able to sell this stuff later. But that is uh, my spiel. And I also want to quickly mention, if you're listening to this, like, as soon as it comes out, we have maybe – I'm looking at it right now. As we record this, we have 10 hours left for the Back of My Play Japanese console limited edition t-shirts. Uh, we have hit our funding goal, so they are going to get printed. But if you still want to get in on one, you have uh, maybe by the time this goes live, a couple hours, if that, to, to get in on them. And uh, once we print them, I'm not going to make them for like six months. So get in on them. They're like $18. And uh, they have your Famicom, your PC Engine uh, core graphics and your Super Famicom on there. Unfortunately, the the Mega Drive is not as big of a success out in Japan as it was in America, so that was omitted due to that fact. <laughs> so sorry about that, folks. And uh, shout out to Lloyd Parker, by the way, who's the artist who yeah made that design. Yeah, Lloyd Lloyd is fantastic, and if you want to uh, follow him, he is the Parmaster on uh, Twitter, and I'll have links for that in the the show notes. And then finally, like I mentioned before, I I recorded an interview with uh, Blake J. Harris, a follow-up on the Console Wars interview that we did. So it's another hour with Blake talking a little bit uh, more about the progress with the documentary and some more thoughts on the research that he's done for the book and also new research that's come up for the documentary and for the movie itself. And I think we're going to be doing Super Mario Brothers 3 with uh, CJ from Player One uh, because he hasn't been on in a a while for our next episode and then after that Kurt Collada from Hardcore Gaming 101 is going to be on to talk about Castlevania Bloodline so um, this is like mostly a Castlevania show these days which <laughs> isn't a bad thing but I didn't Nothing play wrong with that <laughs> no but it's just it's only bad when we start playing Castlevania 64 I don't think we're going to get to that okay I think that's we're when gonna, it becomes a bad thing no we're gonna we're gonna stop this I mean it's this and three and then maybe Simon's Quest at some yeah. point I don't know um, but of course before we go uh, Peter thank you so much for, for taking the time uh, to come on I know people can uh, check you out on Twitter at at PC Brown but is there anything else that you have like coming up that people should keep an eye out for or anything like that Retro related, unfortunately not. Uh, the one thing I can say is we're doing a lot of hardware related coverage on GameSpot, so uh, and that's something that I'm kind of uh, heading up. So if you have a lot of interest in PC hardware, maybe check us out. It's about that time with this. You know, Steam is is doing awesome, and also like uh, Green Man Gaming. There's just so many great deals on PC gaming. It's just such a. It makes too much sense financially to not build a PC these days. I agree. Um, so. I think that is going to do it for us. Of course, uh, Josh was on the Player One podcast, so make sure you check that out uh, all the time. They're always doing some great stuff. He was on episode 401, so if you're listening to this after the fact, you can go back and, and check that out. Was the experience good, Josh? It was. They treated me pretty nicely. It was just it was just three of us this time around, so you know, cool. kind of an intimate conversation. Yeah, and thanks for not dominating it with Nintendo stuff. 
Greg and I were Greg Stewart and I were very concerned that it was going to be all Nintendo all the time. But uh, yeah, well, with me and CJ yeah. and Phil, yeah, that oh, was you guys, the best. Yeah, you guys are the best. Though. So, all right, check that out, and don't forget to go to backofmyplay.com, like I mentioned. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Please submit a review for the podcast on there. That is the best way to support us. And if we're ever selling T-shirts, that's uh, another way that you can support the show. We're not making money off them, but it allows you to wear an awesome shirt, and that has the podcast name on it when you're out in public hopefully you go hey, out of your house let me say this when i was wearing that shirt in new york city i wore my back in my play shirt two different times because i have two different shirts and i had so many people talk to me and ask me questions about it so yeah. i'm just saying you're going to meet people if you wear this shirt <laughs> yeah that's uh sometimes it's hard to do uh, right so if you're looking to meet someone maybe a significant other a, a partner for the rest of your life or just a friend. I wouldn't go that far. Um, all right. So, uh, again, uh, Peter, thank you. FX chip. We, we will change your life. That's that's what they said in Nintendo Power. Thank you so much for, for listening this week. Thank you to the great audience that we have. You guys are so awesome. And uh, continue to, to listen as we come back next time with uh, Blake. And then we're going to be talking about Mario and Castlevania. All that great stuff. It's just around the corner on Back in My Play. Uh, thank you. Take care. And we'll see you next time.